Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth. We are live tonight. I'm Nathan Owens and I'm excited to be back on the program after being away for a month. Uh, Good evening, Pastor. It's good to be back with you. Uh, Good evening, Nathan. It's also good to hear you and good to be back with the audience. We have a very practical program and a very practical topic for you tonight, so stay tuned and encourage others to tune in to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. With COVID-19 being on the rise, all of our lives have been affected to some degree. And I share that to say that the program is being done a little bit differently tonight. And you may hear a little bit of differences. Uh, Pastor and I are not in the same room. Pastor is at his study I am in the studio, and he is on the phone line, so we don't have our face-to-face communication pointing to different things, so we will do our best to make it run as smoothly as possible. Bear with us if we have any technical issues. So what does that mean for you as the listener? You are still able to ask your questions, and we are excited to have you interact with us. Tonight, we're going to be discussing something that all of us have faced to some degree over the past couple of weeks. But before we get to that topic, Pastor, I have a page here of several questions that have come in since the last time you did a live program. Uh, The first one is a caller from Antigua who asks, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the angels, did God give the angels a word of instruction? Well, we're limited to the scriptures in terms of what God said and what God didn't say. And when you come to the Bible, I don't see any reference in the scriptures where when God created the angels, they were given any specific instructions. However, we do know that the general uh, purpose of all creation is to glorify God. And we do know that uh, from scriptures, prophetic writings, and other parts of the Bible, that the main purpose of angelic beings, that they're ministering spirits, we know that they worship God, they adore God, and they guard God's holiness. But we're not, uh, I can't decipher any specific in the Bible uh, in regard to any uh, any word that is given that sets forth some kind of a plan or purpose or uh, give them some kind of a mandate to be carried out. We can only discover that from evaluating what the Bible says in other parts of Scripture that help us to understand the role of angels uh, on planet Earth. So to answer the question without trying to be uh, going around in circles, there's no specific reference anywhere in Scripture where at creation uh, the angels will give us specific instructions. The next question comes from a WhatsApp message from Anguilla. 
Good evening, Dr. Murphy. Did Satan enter into Judas because he was probably the weakest of the disciples? Was Judas destined to be the one to betray Jesus? Well, I think if you read from the book of Acts, um, it is stated uh, in the book of Acts that certainly that uh, it was part of God's predetermined plan that um, he, Christ was betrayed. However, when you're dealing and trying to balance God's sovereignty with human responsibility, we know that God is not the author of evil, and we know that God does not tempt anyone to commit evil. So we have to understand uh, the interpretation of that passage that God could foresee exactly what Judas would do, and therefore he can give a prediction in the book of Acts. But I don't think it had to do with the fact that Judas was the weakest of the individuals, I think that the whole question there is that Judas was clearly a thief. The Bible makes it very clear. Uh, he was the person who was the treasurer. And um, we uh, we learn also later that when um, um, the alabaster box was, was broken and anointed Christ, uh, he wanted to know why it was not used to, to help feed the poor. And then there's a commentary there saying that because he was a thief. I think this was his character's nature. Uh, and I believe that uh, it was not something that God imposed on Judas. I think it was an act of Judas's will. But that shows you the, the principle that there are people that are in the the body of the body of Christ, if I may use that term, uh, the the realm of Christ within the uh, the sheepfold of Christ, who really are not authentic, who really are not real, who have ulterior motives, and who sometimes see religion as a means to profit. And a means of gain, I think Judas falls within that category. But uh, there's no way that we could ever um, read in the scripture that God coerced Judas uh, to betray Christ because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted to be the man with evil. So we have to balance God's sovereignty, knowing what his plan is, and God's c control of the events that brings about his purpose. But we also have to balance that with the fact that we are responsible human beings that make choices and we're placed in situations where our character and make us make choices that are a result of our decisions that we've made previously. So we can't blame God for Jesus' act of betrayal. Uh, he's responsible for that and I think it was out of greed uh, that it happened and I just think by nature he was a person who was uh, in pursuit of gain and saw religion as a means of gain and uh, that led to his betrayal of Christ for 30 pieces of silver. So I don't know if that answers the question definitively. Uh, I just keep the balance God's sovereignty and that God is not the, the, the author of evil and human responsibility. There's a fine line there where we try to cross over to try to get deep into the, uh, those events and to what we, we speculate a lot, but we can't go into the realm of speculation. We just state what the Bible says. But he was betrayed according to the predetermined counsel of of God. We know the betrayal was going to happen, but we cannot charge God with perpetrating the pain of uh, inducing uh, Judas to betray Christ or forcing Judas to betray Christ. He did it with his own free will, his own free choice. Pastor, the next question is a WhatsApp question from Trinidad and Tobago. It says, Good night. Hear me out, if you will. If I'm wrong in any way, guide me to the truth. This virus, COVID-19, from whence came it, God or the devil? Now, the Bible did prophesy about end times events, 
and what should follow in the last days. Pestilence is one of such. After listening to the news and knowing this erupted from China, I can't help but wonder if the devil was instrumental in this, using human beings as his puppet to make the virus spread like wildfire worldwide. The virus is causing fear, succumbing the weak to death, and blinding our eyes to what is taking place in the broader scope of things. I know what God has already that God has already won the victory and that Satan is a loser. He can't defeat Almighty God. One valuable lesson in this is the redemption of one's soul. We must be ready to meet our Creator. There is no greater and better time than now. Now is the time of salvation. If we reject God's merciful gift of salvation, we are doomed to what lies ahead. Dying without Christ Jesus is a misfortune. Pastor, uh, the question that they ask there is, from whence came this virus? Did it come from God or from the devil? Sometimes we try to be sensational and, you know, we try to read into events and even try to find some prophetic basis for those events. I think that if you look at the whole matter of this virus, um, the blame had to be laid squarely on China. China knew about, I think, three, three months before it told the world uh, about what was happening. And even um, in prison, people who were trying to get the news out and what this whole thing has spread to the extent it has because you're living in a society where it's a secret society, it's a communist society, and they can't see the countenance openness and let people know exactly what is what's going on. I think that this could have been prevented. Uh, when they had the Ebola virus in Africa, the African nations appealed to the World Health Organization, they sought help from the U.S., and within a very short space of time, this thing was arrested and got under control. China, on the other hand, is culpable what is taking place on the global scale. I hope, sincerely hope, that the nations of the world would hold China accountable and that something be done because it's ruining and wrecking economies. Take these small economies in the Caribbean. They're so dependent on tourism. And uh, it could very well end up in the ruin of our economies. What recourse do we have? A nation that has deliberately uh, perpetrated this in the sense that it has been keeping secret what has been going on and would not let the world prepare to deal with it, I think they ought to be held culpable. Now, whether or not it's going to be done, I don't know. But in my judgment, I think that what is happening could quite have been avoided. Now, in terms of whether or not it is God, the devil, or whatever, I just want to remind uh, everybody that we're living in a world that has forsaken God. We live in a world that, uh, quite frankly, you think that God is a father, God is a pest. And if they can rid uh, the world of God, the world is better off. Uh, we're also living in a moral world because of a moral God. And I cannot in any way uh, dissociate the fact that we are due for judgment. There's no question in my mind about that. Well, the way we're living, the amount of people that if you take the matter of abortion, don't want to get off on a tangent. America alone has killed 37 million kids through abortion. Innocent kids slaughtered. That cannot go on indefinitely without God responding. That has nothing to do with the amount of, I, I think the, the gentleman that was here, that is uh, our mission speaker, I forgot the, the number of uh, Chinese that uh, the Chinese government have aborted, but he put it at 150 million uh, since uh, this thing has been going on. So uh, you cannot imagine that a God who gives life can remain passive and without allowing some tragedy uh, to come on the world scene because... We cannot sin with impunity. 
And I, while it is not, cannot be said that this is a direct act of God, certainly was permitted of God to happen. And I think it is part and parcel of his moral judgment on planet Earth, which is in rebellion against God. I see no other um, explanation. It's not just a natural thing. Uh, if it is, even if it is natural, it's allowed by God. He could have prevented it. He did not prevent it. And I think that, uh, quite frankly, this is part of the moral judgment of God on, on, on planet Earth for the evils that we live and the reckless uh, atheistical lives that we live. Uh, in reference to um, the prophecy in Matthew chapter 24, uh, it says, uh, For nation shall rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places and in many different places. This may just be the beginning of things to come. Remember, we studied the book of Revelation, uh, Bible prophecy, in a previous study, and it is very, very clear from the book of Revelation, by the time God is finished judging planet Earth, two-thirds of humankind will be wiped off the map. So uh, this is just the beginning of things to come, and that's exactly what uh, Matthew 24 says in verse 8. After stating there be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places, and all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, so we, I, I, I remember some program we had before. I made the comment, and I don't know if people have picked it up, but if they replay the the the, the um, any of the programs we had before, I mentioned that something worse than AIDS was going to come. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm not a prophet, not a son of a prophet. But I am very much aware that we cannot continue living such a rebellious life, breaking all of God's moral, law, moral laws, and have no regard for God, living in a, a complete days of pleasure and fantasy without there be some kind of moral repercussions. God cannot be silent with man killing with impunity. And I expect that this is just the beginning. I think we're going to have worse things to come, maybe not immediately, but in the future because the book itself predicts this is what's going to happen. Uh, by the way, I've never seen such a panic mode in my entire life. I'm now 65. I've never seen people so dreadful and fearful of what seems to be coming. Uh, but it is also, I hope for other people, provoke people to think soberly, to reevaluate one's life, uh, to re, uh, reassess one's priorities. Um, so to really take a, a real, careful, forensic look at how one lives and what one's values are and to see the importance that in a moment's time, all that we treasure can be gone in a moment's time. I think we've lost that sobriety. And I think this might be a, 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 an awakening for many, including myself, uh, to look at life far more seriously than we've been looking at it and make some changes that need to be made that we've been putting off for quite some time. And now we begin to realize that we may not even have the time to make those changes. So in a sense, while it has a negative impact, I suppose it's going to have something positive in the lives of people who really uh, take a serious focus on life and um, begin to take a perspective on what life is all about, where we're headed, and how tenuous our lives are. Pastor, you were saying that uh, in Revelation it talks about that God's judgment will result in two-thirds of the earth's population dying. How in the world can you say you have a loving God and he would allow that to happen or even to allow COVID-19 to happen? 
Well, my, my, my answer is very simple to that. If there's a moral God who has given us his regulations and his word to guide our lives, and let's forget, let's take from the time of Christ, uh, let's forget about the 6,000 years of human history that we've had to really uh, change, to really do something about rectifying our relationship with God. Uh, let's take it from Christ. We've had 2,000 years to change. But we, we, the world has become more atheistic after 2,000 years than it has ever been. This is a godless world. Uh, you take Europe, for example. Uh, don't forget, Europe is what brought about the Protestant Reformation. It was the leading area of the world when it came to biblical faith. Look at Europe today. Most of the European nations have flatly forsaken God, and between 3 and 10% of the people go to church. Uh, how, 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 how can a God who has, and by the way, look at the abundance that we have today. Uh, you know, we're not living in poverty, we're not living from hand-to-mouth situation. We've got uh, videos, we've got television, we've got electricity, we've got running water, we've got money in the bank, we, we've got motor cars, we've got everything to make us comfortable. But that hasn't drawn us to God, that has driven us away from God, so we find comfort in these things. Uh, and, and so... To answer the question, you know, if we are living in rebellion against um, God, God's clear directive, I want to ask a question, how can God be morally comfortable uh, for any measures that are taken to deal with man when man has had over 2,000 years, if you look at it in, in total perspective, has had 6,000 years uh, to deal with the whole question of his sinful nature, return to God and live for God and worship God. Uh, it, we've had that among the time. Remember when uh, the Israelites were going to go into the land of Canaan? Uh, we were told in the book of Genesis that it would be 420 years uh, before Israel would be allowed to destroy the Canaanites. Uh, and the reason why they stayed in Egypt 420 years is to give those Canaanites a reprieve, a period of time to repent. They never repented and they became a moral cancer and God had to wipe them off the, the planet. Uh, I am afraid that this generation, uh, as a matter of fact, if the things that were done in this generation were done in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, they would repented a long time ago. Uh, we are in such a, a bad state uh, because we are not only practicing things that God has condemned in the past and indicated His wrath and His anger that these things are abominable, we are now legalizing them. We are now making them normal. How can a God who is a moral God and a righteous God and a holy God sit by uh, without acting and waking us up to the fact that we are in great danger? The great danger is not just the virus. The great danger that we must flee the wrath to come. And this may be a time to cause people to, to awaken. I remember when coming to Antigua, I heard that there were many people when they had the earthquake, I think in the 70s, when there were many earthquake Christians, I understand that Antigua almost tilted, and that that caused people to load the churches, and many people turned from their wicked ways and became converts. It could very well be that this virus uh, have a, a, an effect of a similar nature. We just have to wait and see. But a loving God cannot be a God that sits by and watch His moral laws violated without acting. Uh, that would be complacency. That would not be morality. Not even a parent uh, would stand by and watch a child 
stubbornly, rebelliously break every rule and regulation and go against every counsel that you give without acting. God has to act somehow. He has to act at some time. And I believe that we are right for that period of time because we persistently continue not only to get more evil and more wicked, but we endorse it and try to legalize it. So I, 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 I don't have a problem with God judging this planet Earth as it is uh, with whatever form of judgment they do because I really think it's do us because of the way that we live and that may be the only uh, message we hear. I was reading a, a comment this week, I think it was C.S. Lewis, who said that uh, God um, whispers to us uh, in our fears, God speaks to us in, in our conscience, and God uh, screams at us, uh, he says, in our pain. In other words, we, we never seem to really hear him until there's some great measure of pain. And this may be the kind of pain that's needed at this moment in time to bring people to their senses. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. And if you're saying, wait a minute, Pastor sounds a little more distant than usual, you are correct. He is not in the studio of the Radio Lighthouse due to a number of things, but the main uh, reason goes back to COVID-19. As it affects your life, it is affecting our life here at the Radio Lighthouse, and we're operating with a minimal approach. So Pastor is on the phone, and we are here to answer your questions uh, we are have a great topic lined up for tonight, but we are still working our way through some questions that came in uh, since the last episode, and also we have another one that has just come in from Anguilla. But Pastor, before I get to that question from Anguilla, this is a WhatsApp question from Antigua, and to set the context, let me just mention that over 17,000 people have died in Italy to date as a result of COVID-19. So this next question reads as follows, and it comes with a photo of Italy and the name of a city on there. It says, is this revelation true? Where is Tafet? Tafet is the name of the city. Check your Google map location. It is in Italy, where currently dead bodies are being buried, and they are facing a shortage of space due to a huge number of dead bodies now. Now turn your Bible and see what the prophecy says and what was written in B.C. 600 years by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 7.32 says, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnon, but the valley of slaughter, for they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. Indeed, Scripture cannot be broken. Now, I, it says to check Google Maps for the name of that city. I didn't right off find it there in Italy, but the map that came with this message uh, showed it in Italy. So the question, Pastor, is, is Jeremiah 732, is that talking about Italy and COVID-19 and the fact that there are so many bodies piling up that they're not able to bury them quickly enough? Look, there's no connection between Jeremiah's prophecy and any city in Italy. Uh, it, it's very simple. If you take a, uh, a Bible dictionary and you take up the word uh, Tophet, uh, you could see quite the, it's in the Valley of Hinnon. Uh, I have, I just took from my library the Baker's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, 
and any person can can do the same. Uh, you can even actually Google Google it, and, and some one of these um, Bible um, internet places, and you will find that it gives you a definition of of tofet, and you find that it's in the value of ten. And so it has nothing to do with Italy. What has happened is that people are trying to sensationalize Bible prophecy, and the, the danger of that is trying to find. Uh, some connection between what is happening and uh, something that uh, the prophets wrote that has nothing to do with the current situation. And this, in, its, in, the, in the long term, will discredit the Bible because when people really examine that word that person is saying and they go to the Bible dictionary and see exactly where this place is, then they discover it has nothing to do with Italy. Uh, one will, 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 will then begin to question, you know, the interpretation of the Bible, where people distort in the biblical truth. Uh, we don't have to sensationalize things in order to, to appeal to the truth of the scripture. Um, so I, I don't see the connection between this. The other thing is 15,000, 18,000 people. Uh, to be very honest, 20,000 people in America die of flu every year. So, I mean, in terms of being a massive figure, that's not a significant figure. And the other thing, Nathan, is that uh, I think I had a conversation with you before we started the program that one of the problems we're having is that we have no historical comparison in terms of this generation of what took place with different plagues before this particular pandemic that we're faced with. I think it was a black plague. I don't have my statistics correct. I'm, I'm just guessing from what I recall. I think almost half the continent of Europe died because of the black plague. I mean, millions of people died. Um, so this is nothing in comparison to what we've had before. Uh, but because in our generation we haven't faced anything major of this nature, we think it's the worst thing that's ever happened. But in truth and fact, uh, you, you take the Ebola, for example. Uh, in my judgment, Ebola is far more serious than this virus. Ebola, yeah. uh, you died more quickly. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's only the quick action of the World Health Organization and the Americans that really was able to salvage the continent of Africa and perhaps the world because if somebody with that virus had gotten to the Caribbean, for example, uh, it could have wiped us out. So, I mean, I know it's a terrible situation we're dealing with, but we need not to exaggerate and, and try to find something sensational. The Bible is truth, whether or not there's a connection between this and what is happening in Italy. But we must not try to twist Scripture to, to say it means something when it's contrary to what is actually uh, in the Bible, and anyone, anyone could take a good Bible dictionary and check the, that place and that location and see that it has something to do with Italy. I think this is the problem of using Bible prophecy and, and, and uh, the prophetic writings uh, to somehow distort truth, and then when it's finally discovered by people that this is not so, it, it actually demeans the credibility of the Bible, and it hurts Christianity in the long term. So we got to desist from this kind of exaggeration and this kind of sensational interpretation of the scriptures. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that has come in from Anguilla here during the program. It says, Pastor, can you please explain Isaiah 45, verse 7? Thank you. And that verse reads, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Well, I don't, that's not about moral evil, by the way. I, I, uh, when they say they create evil, this has to do with uh, physical calamities. And he's the one that uh, allows these things to happen. I mean, a storm, a hurricane, uh, he brings disaster, a famine. Uh, you read the, the book of Exodus in connection with the demolition of the gods of the Egyptians. 
10 plagues. Each one of those plagues were against an Egyptian god. And it was a clash of the gods, whether the gods of Egypt were stronger than the god of Israel. And systematically, uh, the gods were dismantled, the whole pantheon of gods were dismantled because God brought evil upon Egypt in the sense that they brought catastrophe upon catastrophe. Uh, again, a form like light and darkness, um, he gives light, but at times when he withholds his light, so that darkness begins to spread. And that's where the book of uh, Romans says that um, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Uh, so that they did things that were unnatural, women burning and lust towards women and men towards men, because God gave them up. If they rejected the light, God withholds the light, and they plunge themselves into darkness. But it is always God acting morally in dealing with people justly and judiciously. God cannot do wrong. He cannot do evil. He is a God of righteousness and holiness. And when those verses are used, they must be interpreted properly to understand what it means. It doesn't mean that he creates evil in the sense that it's morally evil. It means that he judges by bringing evil upon nations, and sometimes that involves pestilence, that involves disease, that involves a storm, that involves a hurricane, that involves famine. Uh, this world operates not just on natural law. God is above natural law, and God intervenes in human history. It's called the miraculous intervention of God. This is not a closed system where God is closed out of his own system. God can intervene in his system uh, and uh, bring about whatever um, physical or whatever um, change is needed in terms of the weather uh, to deal with a nation, deal with, deal with a people. For example, I don't think it's, it's, it's accidental that America experiences so many uh, tornadoes and so many different um, twisters. I don't think it's, it's accident, um, because we've got to get away from the idea that God is an absentee God which created the world, and he just let the world run on its own. Uh, by him, all things consist. All things continue. When he decides to intervene, he intervenes. But if we can accept that this world is God's world, it's a moral world, that God has given to us moral laws to live by, that God has said that he will judge sin and judge iniquity, if we accept those general principles, we should have no problem understanding that the current state of the world in which we find ourselves, where man is living in total rebellion against God in the pursuit of the most avid pleasure without any regard to God's holiness, we must understand that God cannot stand idly by and let this continue in, in perpetuity. And God has to intervene periodically to wake us up and bring us back to our senses because something worse is coming. Look, hell is far worse than what we're faced with, and that's where we're headed unless we repent and turn back to God. And sometimes a tragedy of this nature moves us to reconsider and revaluate our lives, and out of this may come some radical changes in people, uh, in people's lives. And if it does, I say hallelujah. God has done something that is uh, hurtful and painful, but at the same time it is about ultimate good. And uh, I just wait and see exactly what is happening. I don't want to be a pessimist, but I'm also recognized that really, in truth, we are overdue and a harsh intervention of God to bring us to our senses. And this may very well help us to take us in that direction. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.02. We have 
just about a full hour left in the program. And if you have a question, you can send it on Facebook Live. You can comment and we'll get it passed along to Pastor Murphy. You can send it via WhatsApp or text to 268-782-1454. Or you can email it to crlthatstruth at gmail.com. That's all one word, no space, no apostrophe. Uh, You cannot call and be put live on the air tonight because we have Pastor on the line as he is not in the studio tonight. He's uh, on the phone from his study. But tonight we are discussing something that all of us have faced to some degree over the past couple of weeks. When there's a virus that shuts down the vast majority of travel worldwide, it's kept so many workers at home worldwide and is spreading through actions that we often do without even thinking, such as touching our face. It's only natural that we would feel anxious to some degree. Tonight we're talking about anxiety. Pastor, what exactly do you mean by anxiety? Well, I've come to the biblical definition uh, somewhere in the process, but because we're dealing with people who are both uh, Christian and non-Christian, generally speaking, anxiety is what you might call a psychological or psychiatric uh, umbrella term that covers uh, varying degrees of worry and fear, ranging from that which is mild to that which is extreme. Uh, you might say it's a sense of uneasiness or distress over a threat or something unknown uh, that leads to us extreme worrying and uh, brooding uh, over some fear. But when it comes to anxiety, one of the key factors is uncertainty. It's fearing something will happen but having no control over the situation, or hoping something will happen, but having no guarantee that it will. So we're talking about an uneasiness caused by some anticipated misfortune or danger. It produces psychic tension, and it causes us to keeps us in a state of apprehension and fear. I think that is pretty much gives you an idea of what we're talking about. It is uncertainty, fear, it comes from something that we anticipate, that we have no control over, and that uh, we feel the sense of danger and misfortune, uh, and that creates apprehension within us. So I think it's natural for us to go from that definition to say, okay, is anxiety healthy, helpful, harmful? What are the results on the on the individual? Well, well later on, uh, I'll show you in the Bible that there is a, a legitimate form of, of anxiety, but generally speaking, when we are anxious and we have this anxiety within ourselves, it's very unhealthy and, and, and very hurtful. Um, um, for example, it, it can lead to what is called catastrophic thinking, uh, where or, or we overestimate um, the likelihood of a danger and a negative outcome, and this takes over our lives. Uh, this can lead to a kind of a psychic disorder when we become in, so intense that it dominates uh, our lives and our thoughts and our feelings and our actions, and it prevents a person from living a, a normal life, and they can't seem to cope with their daily responsibilities. And they can be so paralyzed by fear that they strip of all motivation and energy and so they become antisocial, withdrawn, and uh, they begin to have this brooding, and of course, ultimately, it can lead into deep depression. So it, it's not a healthy thing for a person to be anxious in this respect, because it has serious repercussions 
on the individual. Pastor, this quote is from a listener in or a person in St. Vincent who commented on the Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. They say, Christian people are a waste of skin right now, especially in this coronavirus-infested world. Believe it or not, for over 200 years or more, these Christian people of the world have promised us that they have the power to heal the sick and mend the brokenhearted. Christian people, it's about time you step up and show us what you've got. Bring out the healing power that you have been promising for the longest while now. Well, I am not too sure the perspective that person is coming from. I suspect they hope that we have some magical powers that we can apply to people who are sick and then somehow supernaturally uh, make them, heal them and and cure them. Uh, That is not promised in the Bible. Uh, if you read even the writing of the Apostle Paul, you'll find that Timothy was sick. Uh, Paul left Epaphrodite was sick. Um, so uh, healing is not for everybody, and the church has not been given the power to go around and, and to heal people indefinitely. And there's always when there is it's some kind of healing, uh, God does that miraculously, and God does that um, independent and, and uh, does it sovereignly. Uh, so I am not too sure what the thinking is. I suppose that a lot of these um, programs on the radio, especially this uh, faith movement, that give people the impression that they should not be sick. Everybody should be healthy and they should all be prosperous. I suppose that's where it's coming from. But that's unbiblical. That's unscriptural. Uh, uh, God's will is not that everybody be healed. God's will is not that everybody uh, be healthy. Uh, sickness is therapeutic for some people, and, and, and God used sickness to bring people closer to Him. Uh, God uses sickness to discipline us, etc., etc. So I am not too sure where this person is coming from. If their person is, is thinking of Christianity as some kind of a magic wand that can solve all the world's problems, does all the healing in the world, you'll be misled, they'll be misled by whoever has been informing them in that regard. Uh, the greatest need of humankind is spiritual healing. And the whole purpose of Christianity is not to rescue man physically, is to rescue man from the wrath to come. Man has to be eternally redeemed. Man needs to be forgiven and pardoned, and man needs to be restored to a healthy relationship, relationship between himself and God. This has nothing to do with physical healing. It may be God's will that somebody be physically healed, but uh, certainly it is not his universal will that everybody um, be healthy, etc., etc. Look, human beings are going to die. We got three score and ten years, if by reason of grace, you might get to be 80, 85, uh, you know. But the fact is, we are all, by the time we were born, we are born dying. And we are all going to die. There's no question about that. We all know that. And this is what, this is man's destiny, that he's going to die in terms of, uh, as a result of his sin. Uh, so, nobody's going to live indefinitely. No, nobody will find a cure to let man live indefinitely. The fact is that as we get older, the body deteriorates. The resistance um, is lessened, and we become susceptible to different forms of illness and disease. That's a normal trend, that, and it's not going to escape the Christian because the Christian he's not going to have arthritis, he's not going to have cancer, etc., etc. Uh, a lot has to do with what we eat and uh, you know our lack of exercise and indulgence. A lot of things that happen, but the goal of Christianity is not to create a, 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 a healthy. Uh, society that lives indefinitely. The goal of Christianity is to rescue men from a perishing world that's doomed to, ex- uh, doomed, doomed to, to divine wrath. That's the goal of Christianity. Um, that doesn't mean that there's no healing. If you read the book of James, 
it tells the believer explicitly in this dispensation, uh, if a person is sick, exactly what the procedure is to send for the elders. The elders come and anoint the sick and pray over the sick. And if it is God's will, that person be healed. I believe that should be practiced today in the church. But there's no, there's no, we can't go down to the hospital uh, where we got these people with all these viruses and, and make any boasted claim that if we pray for them or we lay their hands upon them that everyone will be healed. It's not God's will that everybody be healed. Uh, this is something that is uh, within God's sovereign will. We just don't. And by the way, let's suppose we could do that. We could go by the hospital and we could uh, um, heal everybody and bring people back to normalcy. But what happens after that? Is it life change? Is it going back to the the the, the party, the party, woman to woman, man to man? Are they going back into the uh, the striptease uh, thing? Are they going back into the prostitution? Are they going back into uh, dishonesty and stealing? How does that help? Right? So I, I I just I'm not sure why the person has made that kind of a comment. I'm not sure if they've got an anti-Christian bias. Uh, maybe they've experienced some hurt in the past or had a family member who perhaps was sick and wasn't healed and therefore they're holding this grudge against God. I don't know. But I would say to that person that it's a complete misrepresentation of Christianity that we somehow have a magic wand to solve all the world's problems and, and, and heal everybody and it's God's will that everybody be healed. That's simply not true. Anyone that reads the Bible will understand that's not true. So in the sense of the Christian faith, uh, our priority is not the healing of the physical body. Our priority is the healing of the human soul and bringing people to regulation with God. And we do that because even though they may live healthily for 80, 90 years, and they do not know Christ and have never trusted Christ, they're going to a worse condition than even enjoying 90 years of good health. Uh, and what benefit is that, uh, that you live 90 years in good health and all eternity and a crisis eternity where you suffer eternal punishment of hell. That doesn't seem to me to be a, a good uh, priority to place that above uh, the redemption of the human soul. So I, um, I'm a little bit puzzled why the person would make that statement. I feel that there's some little bit of a grudge, but I think also there might be some misrepresentation the part of some religious groups who have been emphasizing that which is completely uh, out of sync with what the Bible teaches. And I think we as uh, fundamental believers and evangelical believers need to call people back to the fact that suffering and pain and sickness is part of life. And it's a tool that God uses, uh, most of all, to bring us closer to Him. And that doesn't mean that God is a sadistic God who takes pleasure in these things. But sometimes it's the only way that God gets our attention. He screams to us in our pain, and it's then that we listen uh, in that regard. So there has a purpose in it, and, but it's not, not God's will that everybody be healed. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that's come in from Trinidad and Tobago. How do we move on with this virus, COVID-19? Do we trust in God and rest assuredly under his shadow of his wings? Well, hopefully we'll come to that answer sometime in the program, but I would like to just say very briefly, um, I don't think we need to be reckless for one. I think we ought to uh, use good judgment and, and be cautious and listen to those people who know about uh, these matters. Uh, we have doctors, just that we listen to lawyers. I think that we ought to listen to these uh, doctors who, who knows about this condition. We must not uh, put the law to a test, deliberately put ourselves in danger. I think we take all the precautions that we can. and, and then. But I also think that 
this is a time where we really seriously need to reevaluate our lives and refocus our priorities. If it doesn't help us in any way to cause us to want to, to know God better and get closer to God, uh, it will not have accomplished its divine purpose. And I really feel that in addition to taking precautions and uh, not violating the, the social distancing that is, is talked about, uh, the other thing that we need to realize is that fear, uh, this key element of fear, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Uh, so we as believers, while we have to exercise caution, um, our anxiety is to cast that anxiety in the Lord. The answer is nothing but everything in prayer. That should improve our prayer life as well. And uh, in addition to that, uh, I might say I might, I might say this, you know, seven days of uh, here in Antigua where you had a lockdown for seven days. I hope that uh, people have used that time and uh, probably has found that um, it has been very therapeutic really thinking about this whole thing. And I think it might help uh, people in that regard. Um, I think families have gotten closer together. Uh, I was talking to one of my neighbors recently, and I was asking him how he handled the situation. He said, well, you know, it's difficult for him because he doesn't like this. Uh, he doesn't stay home. I said, well, it might be good for your wife and your children that you are home now. This might be time for family to bond together, learn to appreciate each other more than, than ever before. I mean, it can have some real life-changing effects. But So what we do basically uh, to answer the question is that we exercise good judgment. We listen to those who are knowledgeable in how this virus spreads and what needs to be done. Uh, we don't deliberately put ourselves in danger, but we trust in God. We keep our faith and trust in God. We pray to a God or our fears. We download our fears upon Him. And we examine our lives to see exactly what changes do we really need to make. What if this was our last hour? What if this was the the last week of our lives, what if we, we contracted the, the virus and we are aware that there's a very real possibility that this might be eternal for us? I mean, it, it's a serious, sobering time for us to reflect and think, what changes do I need to make? Do I need to pray more? Have I been praying? Do I need to read my Bible more? Do I need to share my faith more? What would I be ashamed of if I were to be presented before God in this moment of this pandemic? So I think it, it, it can have those, those effects. But we need to trust God and pray to God and uh, we order our lives, set our priorities. And um, remember that many people that we probably know uh, may not make this thing through. Uh, do we have a sense of shame and embarrassment that we had opportunities, we didn't see those opportunities in those moments? Will their blood be on our hands because in a moment of plenty, and a moment of ease, we were negligent in giving the glad tidings to those around us. So I think about what, how does it help to change my life? How does it help to change your life? And above all else, is this going to drive me closer to God? I mean, he's done everything to get my attention, get your attention. Uh, he's done one thing after the other, and we promised that we will change, we will seek the Lord. Uh, but no matter what happens, if we go back to normalcy again. This may be the time when we take life very seriously and realize that the most important relationship in life is, is between us and God. Um, this might move us in the direction of, of, of searching God and seeking for God in, a, in an earnest way that we've never done before, which could be a very life-transformative experience for us. And, of course, it would affect the people around us. 
uh, that's what I would say as far as this is concerned. But let's not uh, recruit ourselves and uh, live in a uh, kind of a, a mongery and withdraw ourselves and, uh, and get into a panic mode where we can't function, become paralyzed. Uh, let us trust in God. Let us pray to God. But at the same time, let us allow God to work to the point where he wants to bring us, which I think the most important thing is relationship with him. This is what has suffered, and suffers because of our activity, because of our naturalness, because of our gifts and our abilities, uh, and our occupation, and, and all these other distractions. Uh, and, and now we're faced with the reality that uh, things might so change that we may not never enjoy those things again. Uh, it's time for thoughtful, careful, sobering reflection uh, and uh, seeing exactly if it's going to bring us closer to God. Let me take this opportunity to say a big thank you to each of you who have been sending in your questions. A lot of interaction thus far on the program tonight. That's what this program is about, is interacting with you, being able to answer your questions or have you ask your questions to Pastor Murphy and have him answer them from a biblical worldview. If you're enjoying the program, don't just let it stop there. Go ahead and WhatsApp someone, email them, call them. Let them know that That's Truth is still on the air for another 37 minutes or so. And have them tune in to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM if you're in Antigua. Or no matter where they are in the world, if they are in their house quarantined in China, they can go to radiolighthouse.org and click on the Listen Now button, and they can listen from anywhere in the world. Tonight we're talking specifically about anxiety, and I believe that is a very applicable topic considering COVID-19 and all the different regulations and uh, different things that different governments around the world are asking us to do in order to keep ourselves safe, keep our loved ones safe, and try and control the spread of COVID-19. Pastor, before some of those last questions came in, well, we just had another one come in. The scripture is fulfilling. Uh, this comes from WhatsApp from St. Martin. The scripture is fulfilling. These are the end times, plagues that will come upon the earth. Are these the signs of a warning to the world? Well, I think generally speaking, I would, I would endorse those sentiments. I do feel that we were living in the end times for quite some time. As a matter of fact, we are in the final phase. Uh, we, this may very well be the terminal generation. I think one of the greatest evidence of that is the fact that Israel is back in Palestine, which the Lord, if you check the prophetic writings, that Israel is uh, after being a nation driven up for 2,000 years, they're back there. Uh, under President Trump, Jerusalem will just been restored at the capital of Israel. The Bible says Jerusalem will be trodden on the foot until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Uh, I do feel that there are uh, a lot of questions about the, 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 uh, the Antichrist, about the and the world government that is coming, uh, we know that um, that there's going to be a revival of the Roman Empire. We know there's going to be ten uh, nations that will form that the base of that. We know that the EU seemed to be part of that. But the question was, there were so many countries in the EU uh, far in excel of what we the Bible talks about. And I, I said many times ago that um, you're going to find some of those are going to drop out. Um, and of course, you've got Brexit. 
I think as a result of some of this, you might find others might drop out. I heard that uh, somebody was saying about Italy or Spain or one of those. You know, there's no question about it that we are living in, in times that are minutes to midnight. Add to that the idea of, of, of earthquakes. Uh, if I had the statistics and we do another uh, property again and we talk about in times uh, earthquakes were being recorded until now, I can give you the the, 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 the number, the quantity, and you can see the massive increase uh, that is happening. You're talking about uh, pestilence and famine. I, I just saw a documentary on the... Um, I think on my phone, where uh, they had this massive invasion of, of uh, locusts in Africa. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it just, it's just like you're reading the, the, the Bible and you're looking before your eyes and you're saying, but this is coming to pass. You've got false prophets and false religions from all over, and the Bible warns about that. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the situation now in the Middle East where you've got the alignment that is revealed in the book of Ezekiel where we're told that Russia, along with our allies, uh, Turkey, Iran, um, uh, Sudan, and Libya, will come against Israel in the end time. I mean, uh, nobody could ever perceive Russia getting back into the Middle East until during Obama's period where the Russians came in and, and, and hoodwinked the Americans. And now the alignment is so clear that uh, Turkey is supposed to be an ally of NATO, but now Turkey and Russia are patrolling the borders of Syria. One was wondering, how could this ever have happened? But yet in my lifetime and your lifetime, the configuration mentioned in the book of Ezekiel has come to pass. Uh, so clearly prophecy is being fulfilled, and we ought to wake up that we are minutes to midnight, and it's God's people. Uh, this is the hour to be watched before your, re your redemption is much nearer than when you first believed. So I do feel that uh, what is happening is part of the fulfillment of the end-time Bible prophecy. As I said, many worse things are coming. And uh, the world is hardly going to be able to pull up its stance before, once again, another problem has happened, because this whole system has to collapse. According to the book of Revelation, the economy is going to collapse. You're going to have one world government. You're going to have one world currency. Uh, I mean, it's all predicted. Now, it, it cannot happen until the American economy collapses, because when America collapses, the whole world collapses in America, and that's exactly where she's headed, $21 trillion in, in, uh, in debt, and now she just uh, had a, a, a rescue package of $2 trillion. Now, that's all fake money. That's all printed and borrowed money. Now, anybody knows that $21 trillion, everybody should know that. You can't pay that back. And it's just a matter before uh, the nation, the world, lose their confidence in the American dollar. Everything collapses. And when that collapses, the whole economy collapses. And then that's when the man comes on the scene called the Antichrist, who is supposed to be an economic genius to solve the world's problems. And the world will go after any man that can resolve the problems, which are many. And this age is not prepared for any difficult, prolonged period of time. We haven't been trained and disciplined in suffering and pain. We've all been living in ease and pleasure, so we're not ready for what is coming upon the world. And uh, I, I suspect that we may be helped as Christians during this process because our thinking ought to be different and our evaluation of what is happening ought to give us a different focus than the man of the world. And I certainly hope it happens in our church and within uh, the Baptist and other evangelical movements will become more sober, you know, thinking and understand the hour in which we live and that the time is short 
and we ought to be busy about the masses. They just still work today in the Lord's vineyard and get the work done. Pastor, the questions keep coming in faster than you can answer them. That's a great problem to have. Uh, another question coming from the Southern Caribbean. Pastor, what hope can you give to an unbeliever who has contracted the virus? Well, the only hope we can give is the same hope we can give to anybody. Our hope is in Christ. Our redemption is in Christ. I can't give a person who's contracted the disease a hope that he's going to be well again, he's going to recover, and everything will be normal. I, I can't make that kind of a promise. But what I can promise that person is that if they repent of their sins, put their faith and trust in Christ, and move in the direction of relationship with Him, uh, they are safe and secure. If they recover, uh, which I would desire them to recover, but that may not be in God's will, that they fully recover. This may be a moment that would change their, their, their destiny uh, rather than just change their physical existence. Uh, so the, the hope that we offer people is hope in Christ. And that hope in Christ has nothing to do with planet Earth. You know, people get the impression that, you know, I, I, I think Christianity missed the whole message. Our message is not about uh, this world is going to get better and better, we're going to end up in a paradise, some kind of an idyllic, uh, utopia. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is see the wrath to come, repent of your sins. But yes, the kingdom of God is coming. But this is not the kingdom of God on planet Earth. We're preparing people for an eternal destiny. And that's the hope we offer. The only hope the church has to offer the world is Christ. And that has nothing to do with physical well being. It has nothing to do with the improvement of the conditions in which a person lives, etc., etc. It has to do with the preparation for it. Listen, we are moving on to eternity. This little lifespan of three score and ten years is nothing to compare. It's like a, a grain of sand in the, in, in, in the bottom of the ocean. This is what our life is like. Uh, and we need to understand that we've made this life so much uh, that we, we want to continue to live indefinitely, as it were, when in truth and fact, the Lord has put restrictions on our lifespan. And he has told us what those restrictions are. But yet we continue in perpetuity, believing that we're going to live indefinitely. And we focus so much on this life. We get this, we want that, we get another, we get, and we got all these things, and by the time we get all these things, we got 10 years to live. The question is, who's all these going to belong to? And that's a question our Lord asked a long time ago. That's why he said, if a man come after me, let him deny himself, take his cross, and follow me, he that finds his life shall lose it, but he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. We offer hope in Christ, eternal life, eternal security. We cannot offer physical restoration uh, for that person. And that's the Christian message. It will always be the Christian message. Any other message is a distortion and a fake message. We're preparing people for eternity. That's what the call of the church is preparing people for eternity. And uh, th that's the hope we offer. Pastor, a listener is asking the question, uh, Pastor, I recently heard a preacher recorded on the Internet say that a true Christian cannot get the coronavirus. And his basis for that was using the book of Psalms where David says, the wicked around me are being killed, the wicked around me are dying, but your hand of protection is on me. Is this a biblical view? 
know, I, 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 you know, I want to use a term that uh, it would seem so cool to me to use a term. But I think, I, you know, I describe a person that is an idiot, a person that has no understanding. And well, I wouldn't say that. Maybe they've been deceived. Maybe they've been misrepresented. Look, all people, Christians and non-Christians, are heirs to the uh, problem of Adam's sin. And uh, we will suffer. That's why Christians suffer from cancer. That's why Christians suffer from diabetes. That's why Christians suffer from uh, liver problems and other problems. Anybody else? We're not exempted from these normal things that happen in life because we put our faith and trust in God. If that were so, everybody would rush into the kingdom. But they rush into the kingdom for the wrong reason. And I think it's uh, either a, a person who uh, has been misled uh, to some speaker, uh, but uh, he certainly could not be reading the Bible and reading Paul's experiences and other experiences or reading the life of the saints and come to that conclusion that a Christian cannot contract the virus. We are not superhuman beings. We are normal beings with a living Christ within us. But our physical body is subject to the same um, diseases as a normal person. The physical body is not redeemed as yet. Uh, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 that the day is coming when the body will be redeemed. But this body still has a sinful nature, and because it has a sinful nature, it's still subject to disease and temptation and subject to um, uh, cuts and bruises and, and, and things that happen to ordinary people. So I think that person is unfortunately uh, misleading. And, and, and again, this is where this kind of teaching hurts Christianity. Because what happens now when that same person makes a statement, but somebody who is listening knows a believer who is a godly person who has served the Lord, and there's no doubt in it, and then they contract the virus. That creates mental confusion in the minds of people so that people believe, well, if that's why it's quoting that verse of Scripture, that's what it means, and this happens, therefore we can't believe the Bible. These things do more injury uh, to, to Scripture and do more injury to the Christian faith than anything else. It's about time we call out these type of people for what they are. They are misrepresenting the truth, distorting the truth, misleading people, and they need to be called out and say that they are false prophets. They're not, they're not men of God expounding Scripture and exegeting Scripture. They are actually distorting the Scripture. And this hurts the Christian faith. Well, we must call them out. We must not be apologetic in terms of calling such people out. Pastor, a WhatsApp question from Anguilla. A well-known preacher in the USA who mostly preaches prosperity many years ago could not acknowledge to the host Larry King that Jesus is the only way to heaven. How much credibility does someone like him have, and should I continue to follow his ministry? A person that has no credibility, absolutely no credibility. If any person who claims to be a gospel preacher can go on any broadcast, any program, and hesitate in declaring that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, that person ought to be defrocked, ought to be removed from the office, and ought not to have any person listening to that person. Uh, because to, to state anything uh, contrary to what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He is the propitiation for our sins. Only he is the propitiation for our sins. 
anyone that doubts that uh, is not called into the ministry for one, I can guarantee you that, and they are not sanctioned by God, and nobody ought to be afraid of calling them out for what they are. Uh, and I don't know why we are so enamored by personalities. Uh, a person is dynamic, he speaks, he's fluent, he has a gift of gab, and because he can tell a few stories and with excitement and get the people to clap and play the organ and scream and, and, and it sounds so nice. But it's just a matter when it, when it comes down to the, the, the whole biblical issue of a doctrine like the complete sufficiency of Christ and the only means of salvation being Christ, and he hedges on that. Everything else he teaches pales in comparison to this whole matter because this is central to the biblical doctrine of salvation. There is no other way or means outside of Jesus Christ whereby a person can be saved. The Bible is clear and explicit, and anyone that teaches contrary to that is a false prophet, a false preacher, and not, not to be listened to. Pastor, a question via WhatsApp from the Southern Caribbean. What is the mark of the beast? Is it 666? Recently, I've been hearing that the chip is to be installed into the hands of individuals to track the virus COVID-19, yet to be used for trading purposes. Is this initializing the mark of the beast? I don't, uh, I, I just don't want to be uh, dogmatic on a matter of this nature. I do know that according to Revelation, the, the number is the number of a man. Uh, and the number is 666. And I do know that according to um, the um, practice of the Hebrews and even the Greeks, that each letter in the Hebrew language represents a number, and each letter in the Greek language represents a number. Even in the Roman, by the way, uh, you've got uh, letters that represent numbers. And I do believe that whoever this person that would come on the world scene, that if you were to take the credentials, the, the letters of his name, and apply those letters to the numbers, I do feel that that would be a secret code, because the Bible says he that have wisdom would understand. And I do think that it would be a sign that this person is the Antichrist. Now, does that mean that the, 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 the microchip that is, the person is perhaps suggesting there that is going to be used to track? I don't know. I haven't heard that myself. But I do know the Bible says you receive a mark of the beast in your hand and in your forehead. That makes quite good sense to me, by the way. The technology is already available. I have always felt it's not just to the tracking of the virus, but I do feel because people can lose their credit card, people can use their debit, lose their debit card, et cetera, et cetera. I think the safest means that would ensure that you can't lose anything is actually have this thing encrypted either in your hand or in your forehead. I can see a scanner being scanned in your forehead, scanning your hand, and it, it reads all the documentation about your accounts, et cetera, et cetera. I remember the first time I became aware of this technology is when we first came to Antigua. Uh, that's about 18 years ago. And we were trying to find a, a pet for our children, and they, we, they wanted a dog. And we went at one of the compounds here, and we found a dog. Uh, but it was a boxer, a lovely boxer, but he had lost one foot in a three-footed boxer. He got into a fight with a rider, and... Uh, the Rottweiler partly damaged his leg and had to amputate it. So we had a three-legged uh, boxer. But then we learned something else. When we went to the dog, the lady that owned it was from England, and she had placed a microchip in his neck that had all the information about the dog, about the time he was born, the name. I mean, I, that was the first time I became aware that these things existed. 
I think something like that can easily work. Uh, I can see a person fearful of losing his card, whatever the is on your hand. The only way a person will be able to, to do that is chop off your hand or chop off your head, basically, which is not likely that you have to take it. But I can see that the technology uh, makes sense. Now, whether or not this is exactly what the Bible talks about, this is a game. We must not jump the gun and come to assumptions and, and certain conclusions. We need to wait because as history unfolds, the prophetic word becomes much clearer. Uh, for example, the book of Daniel, we would not have understood a lot of the book of Daniel until the history had passed. Now we have a comprehension of the book of Daniel. And I think we need to be a little bit careful in saying that what is currently happening is exactly what the Bible talks about. Uh, the best we can say at this juncture is that uh, this seems to be the direction in which the Bible has prophesied and where a man is leading in terms of his technology. And I think everybody would generally agree that uh, the technology is already available. I can see it being put into place. And by the way, uh, Nathan, let's suppose that the economy of the world collapses, which the Bible said is going to happen. Uh, I heard recently that I think one of the American um, people running for president said that everybody should have a, a certain income. I think it was $1,000, everybody should get $1,000. Let's suppose the world economy did break down and we're in total collapse and a, a world government is formed. And, uh, and in the interest of the global economy, the global world, uh, and they say, you know, well, we just give everybody a certain amount. I can see that you get a chip, there's a certain amount. When that chip is gone, basically, uh, you get the, you have to get it reprogrammed again. I, I can see that happening. That technology, to my mind, is already there. That's why we are a very critical time in world history, and we ought to perk up the loins of our minds and understand the crucial stage we're at. And we, whatever we've got to do, we have a very short time to do it. Let us be in earnest about the Lord's business. And let us watch and pray, but the same time, let us work for the night come up when no man works. So to answer the question there indirectly, um, we've got to be very careful to assume that this is the precise technology that is going to be used at the end time. What we can say is that it falls in line with the general canon of Scripture in respect to these things, but we must wait a fuller fulfillment and keep our eyes on the Bible, read the newspapers, and keep the day up with the news, news so that we are not found unawares when these things begin to happen. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Bendel's Antigua. Greetings to you in Jesus' name, Pastor. How do you explain Revelation 13, 7, and 8? Please help me if you can. Have a blessed night in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is our soon-coming King. And let me read those verses. Revelation 13, 7, and 8 says... And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And the power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I'm not too sure, uh, but why that needs any specific explanation i think it's self-explanatory he's talking about the antichrist he's talking about the fact that he is allowed god allows him to get this complete uh world dominance uh the world has not been listening to god it has put his finger in his ears and said god we don't want to hear you god said okay you don't want to hear me uh, i'm going to stop speaking and i'm going to let somebody come and speak that you will listen to and so god re re removes his restraining power so that the Antichrist has full influence. 
remember that part of that revelation as well that he has a, a false prophet who performs miracles and what people want today are miracles so when he performed miracles and this false prophet points to him and said this is the christ this is this is the one to come this is the, the true one the whole world goes after him it's called uh deceptive miracles that mislead the world to go after a false christ but this is part of god's judicial judgment and what i mean by that and by, by the way this is not the first time this is going to happen you remember go back to the book of romans where it talks about the history of israel and and uh, how what god has done to israel you know romans chapter 9 all the privileges that israel had the law the ordinances the prophets uh the sacrifices uh uh you know the, the ordinances israel were blessed and blessed and blessed but because of unbelief they are now romans chapter 10 in a state of darkness uh, God has judicially blinded Israel because of their unbelief, so that even today, every Gentiles embrace Christianity almost readily. The Jews as a whole, generally speaking, as a nation, rejected Christ as the Messiah. So we Gentiles have been embraced, and we are now grafted into God's plan. But God judicially blinded Israel uh, because of their unbelief. And then we're told in chapter 11, the day is coming when God will lift the veil off their eyes and we graft Israel into his program. Uh, but again, God did not judicially blind Israel without giving them opportunity to repent, opportunity to change. But with continuous rebellion again and again, God withheld his light from Israel, so Israel went to a state of blindness. So it's like a scale covering their eyes. I think that's what happened at the end times. Look today. Brother Nathan, we've got television, we've got radio, we've got video, we've got cell phones. We've got more Bibles than we ever need. Some people got three and four Bibles. In our school, <coughs> when the kids bring Bibles to school, uh, to church at school, they leave their Bibles there. Some of them are very expensive Bibles. They never come back for them. Sometimes they've got piles of Bibles that are there. But you know what? They're going to buy another one. We've got all these things that should bring about transformation and change and cause us to revalue our lives and live for God. But what is the current state of spirituality in Antigua? The churches are empty, virtually empty. Very few churches you'll find on Sunday morning or Sunday night have any significant numbers. <coughs> but you go to the dances, you go to the clubhouses, you go to the parties, you go to these <coughs> casinos shows that they have. And there are so many. Uh, so, you know, <coughs> because they refuse the gospel, refuse the light, God now blinds them so that they do not accept the real Messiah, but they would accept the false Messiah. And that happens because God removes the light. And when God removes the light, they're plunged into darkness. But look how many years of light they've had, 2,000 years of light. How can that be unjust? That for 2,000 years you had the light, you don't respond to the light, and I withdraw the light for five years or for seven years. How can there be an injustice in that? Uh, it is part of God's judicial judgment as a moral uh, ruler of the universe. He acts that way. Again, it goes back to Romans chapter 1, where Paul talks about God giving them up to a reprobate mind uh, because they reject the truth, so that men now plunge themselves into immorality that is perverted in the form of lesbianism and homosexuality. And yet today, You've got governments endorsing those kind of things, and especially the Europeans are using the carrot and the stick to bring us into compliance with their social agenda. 
and our countries are such that we're so vulnerable that we need aid, we need assistance, that they are forcing their social system apart, even though the majority of, uh, of people in the Caribbean reject that kind of a lifestyle because whatever we say, we are projected as a Christian nation. And when I say a Christian, I don't mean that we are Christian in, in, in fact and in reality, but we, we live by, we were, we were founded on Christian principles, Judeo-Christian uh, biblical Christian, uh, principles, but now we're moving away from that. Uh, so, and again, if the Lord were to come back and to uh, bring about the Antichrist, who in Antigua exposes so much light, so many programs, so much preaching, so many churches, could ever turn around and blame God for being unjust? Uh, it seemed to me atrocious that people would make those kind of claims. But that passage has to do with uh, God removing his light, allowing man to plunge into darkness. Those who refuse to accept the true Messiah now embrace the false Messiah and are misled and go to the doom and become worshippers of the Antichrist rather than the true Christ. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.47 on this Tuesday evening. The name of the program is That's Truth, and we have 11 minutes left in the program tonight. We've had a lot of questions. In fact, Pastor, I don't ever remember another episode of That's Truth where we had so much interaction, and this is great. I've enjoyed uh, being able to ask you these questions and have you answer them from a biblical worldview. I have one more question here in front of me that's come in to this point. It's a WhatsApp from St. Kitts Nevis. It says, Pastor Murphy, do you believe that this pandemic will turn men's hearts to the Lord? Do you think we may see a mighty revival, people turning to God when this is all over? You know, I would love that. I think that is the general uh, prayer of God's people. I think that nothing would give us greater delight than to see a, a nation, a people, the Caribbean people in particular, turning to God in, 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 in droves, um, the churches filled, God's people praying and worshiping, homes restored, families renewed, uh, uh, you know, the, the drunkard made sober, the prostitute made pure. I don't think that there's any doubt about it that that would be one of the greatest desires of our heart. But uh, I don't want to seem skeptical. I don't want to seem as though I am agnostic in regard to this kind of a matter. But I, I think uh, looking at human nature, and uh, I don't know if there's going to be much change after this. You know, it's like the AIDS epidemic. I remember when the AIDS epidemic struck the Caribbean. Everybody was so concerned. Who talks about AIDS anymore? Who is aware of the danger of AIDS anymore? And people have gone back to normal lives. I mean, how many people have changed their lifestyle? Uh, uh, has morality gone down because of the AIDS epidemic? Uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a tragedy. We we get emotionally aroused at the beginning of some great tragedy, but then when it seemed to be uh, we saw when we turned to normalcy, the old man comes out again and we return to the old lifestyle because there's no real permanent desire to change. Uh, Fear what causes us to change, but once that fear to move, uh, because it is not genuine, authentic, and real, we go back to the old status quo. I would desire that this would happen, and I sincerely hope that some people, for me, for example, I must tell you, it's caused me to reevaluate my life. It's caused me to think about my priorities, uh, think about uh, the fact that what's the, the, the end of all of this? What is it designed to do in, in your life? Uh, and it's it, it affecting me, I would hope, in the long term in a good sense. 
Um, there's so many things, and, and, and in particular, I must tell you this, that one of the, the things that is really in the, being impressed upon my own heart is this whole matter of prayer. Um, prayer is one of the greatest areas of warfare and one of the most difficult uh, disciplines in the Christian life. Um, I, I, you know, I, I have no problem studying, I have no problem reading the Bible, that kind of stuff, like, you know, that kind of thing, but, but my battle has always been a, a real, um, consistent, deep uh, prayer life. And this is forcing me to reevaluate that because to my mind, this has to bring me closer to God. And that's my prayer, that's my desire. And God knows my weaknesses and He knows my inadequacies, but He knows that deep within my soul, uh, I would hope that this brings me to the point where um, it makes me a prayer warrior in a, in, at a level that I've never encountered before. If that is accomplished in my life, uh, that would be my greatest thanksgiving to God. And I, 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 hope, I know He hears me, and I hope He reads my heart and discovers that that's exactly my true sentiments in regard to this whole experience. And I hope that for other Christians this is true, and for those who are not believers, I sincerely hope that they would really seriously rethink and revaluate their lives and be brought to faith and trust in Jesus Christ and start to live uh, for the Lord. And for those who might think it is too far gone, you know, Pastor, I've lived my life, I'm 50, I'm 60, I've blown it. Listen, God will give you back the years the locusts have eaten them. Uh, the Apostle Paul felt that way as well. He had persecuted the church. If you read Paul's epistles, he always come back to the fact he persecuted the church. But then you read what Paul said, and he said, I labor more than they are. Uh, the Apostle Paul felt that he had to undo what he had done before, and therefore he was more in earnest in serving God and living for God and doing much more for God than the others. Uh, that is the incentive he had. So if you feel as though you've wasted 50 years of your life, 60 years of your life, give those 15 or 20 years to him and, and just try to undo what you've done before. And, um, you know, use your life for the Lord. It's never too late. Look, read the book of uh, Genesis. You know, the way it says, you know, Enoch walked with God. You know, when Enoch started walking with God, then Enoch was 65. You know why Enoch started walking with God? Because his son was born. And his son was born, he had a sense of responsibility. And at 65, the Bible says, Enoch walked with God. It's not too late to begin. Um, let God speak to you, respond to God, and surrender your life to Him and live to Him and live to His glory. Pastor, we have five minutes left in the program, and I've got two questions here in front of you, in front of me, that I want to get to. Uh, first of all, from a listener in Antigua, should our prayer be simply for the end of the pandemic, or for it to lead sinners to repentance, leading God to bestow mercy on mankind? I think it can be both. I think it can be both. It can be that we pray that God would use this pandemic to awaken people to the need of Christ and the need to get their life in order. But I, I, I don't think God takes delight in suffering. I, listen, our pain is God's pain. Uh, and that is clearly seen in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You know, people say, well, you know, uh, how can God allow such pain? But imagine a father standing by and watching his son suffer the kind of pain that Christ suffered without acting, without even moving a finger. Uh, so he knows pain. And he takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He says that the unrighteous man forsake his ways uh, and the sinner his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will abundantly pardon. Uh, he takes no delight 
in, in these matters. So there's nothing wrong in praying for an awakening. But at the same time, uh, I think it's right and proper that God would hold the plague, as it were, and hold it in check. Uh, nothing wrong in praying for both. So all I would say to that person, be guided by your conscience in a matter like this, because there's no specific Bible verse that uh, says that you should do this or do the next. Uh, but there's nothing wrong in praying for the salvation of others. But at the same time, I think all of us desire healing because none of us would like to see our neighbor die. None of us would like to see our kids die uh, unless we are sadistic. There's nothing wrong in praying for both. Pastor, this week uh, that we are in right now is the has been designated World Health Worker Week. Pastor, we haven't had a chance uh, because of the questions that came in and we're very thankful for the questions, but we haven't had a chance to cover your material on anxiety. But I want to finish up the program tonight by you answering what comfort do you have for a nurse or a doctor? And let me just say I have a great respect, and I think all of us have a renewed respect and gratefulness for health workers, whether it be a nurse, whether it be a doctor. What comfort do you have for a nurse or doctor who is facing anxiety as they deal with or prepare to deal with COVID-19 patients? You know, these are our real heroes. I, I, you know, the guy that runs up and down the basket court, the guy that plays cricket, uh, the guy that plays golf, the guy that plays soccer, you know, I, I, I've never understood why they've had uh, people just go crazy in connecting. People just run up and down the field. They, they make tons of millions of dollars. The real people have put their life in jeopardy every day, the doctors, the nurses, the fire people, the policemen, et cetera, et cetera. These are never sung as heroes. And I, I think we need to realize and appreciate uh, the kind of dedication commitment that these people have. And I think that we, we really should honor them in ways that we have never honored them before. Uh, I would say to those people that, listen, you, you, you have a calling. If you're a Christian and God has called you into the field of medicine or called you into the field of, of, of being a nurse, your duty is to save lives. That is your place to the Hippocratic Oath uh, to serve life, and your purpose there is to uh, heal the body, etc., etc. Fulfill your responsibilities. Uh, don't take unnecessary risks. Take all the necessary precautions that you can. Uh, have a, 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 a delicate sense of uh, fear in the sense that uh, you don't want to be reckless. But again, God has not given us a spirit of prayer, of, of, of prayer but of, uh, of, of power and of a song name. Uh, I would suggest you to meditate on, on, on those, those tools. Uh, if you have anxiety, the Bible says, casting all the care upon him. Turn that anxiety over to him. Uh, and then uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, be anxious for nothing but everything in prayer and supplication. Uh, bring this matter to, in other words, this might be a point in your experience as a doctor or nurse where prayer, along with your commitment to service, is what going to see you through this whole process. Uh, but that's my, 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 my consolation to, to those people. Um, look, you're doing a job, you're doing a wonderful job, you're saving lives, uh, and uh, you, you just got to trust the Lord through this whole thing and just depend upon him to protect you and to guide you uh, and uh, just take whatever caution is required to make sure that you don't jeopardize your life. Uh, but uh, what I can, all I can say to you is, is just do what you're, you're called to do, what you're supposed to do, 
And there's some other uh, passage of scripture which I could have shared at some point in time. David said in Psalm 53, verse 56, verse 4, What time are afraid? I will trust in thee. Uh, our Lord said in John chapter 40, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Matthew 28 says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the ages. And the Bible says, I will never leave you nor or forsake you. Uh, you're going to need to meditate on Scripture, reflect on God, and above all, the great psalm that we all know about is Psalm chapter 23. This may be one of your great meditations. And, and take each word thoughtfully and put yourself in that condition. And remember that God cares for you. If you are God's child, you are God's son, God is your father. God cares for you and God would look out for you and God can protect you. That is my word of comfort to those who are engaged in this massive battle to save lives and to salvage those who are already sick. Thank you very much for the information that you have shared tonight, Pastor. It's been an encouragement to me. I know it's been an encouragement to those who are listening, and we look forward to a future episode of That's Truth. And one thing, one final thought, Pastor, that has been an encouragement to me over the last couple of weeks is the darker and more depressing that this world gets, the brighter that the gospel shines and the hope that the gospel shares, the brighter and the more unique that it is, the darker that things get. Have a great night. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.